Testing. Testing. Okay. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. We pray this day that your word be our rule and authority. We pray that your Holy Spirit be our teacher and guide. And we pray that your greater glory be our supreme concern. Open our eyes to your word so that we may see wondrous things revealed to us in your scriptures. Help us to see Jesus and in doing so, receive him and grow in our love and devotion to him. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Go Google church splits and church divisions. You can do that now. For the first time, I'm going to give you permission just this once to use your phones during the service. So if you have your cell phones, you can pull it out. Just Google church splits and church divisions. I see the younger ones doing that. Okay. Do you have it? Do you have the page? What do you see? You will see a large number of articles on your search list. Many of them are reasoned. Many of them tell of the heartaches of the churches involved. Many tell of the damage to the testimony of the church. Many tell of the negative impact it makes to the watching world. Many tell of how it hinders ministry in the church and hampers evangelism to our neighbours. And this is why Paul spends almost four chapters in his first letter to the Corinthians addressing this very issue. It is a serious matter. We are coming to the end of this section. So for some of you who question why are we as a church spending so much time talking about church divisions? Firstly, it's because Paul himself does so. Secondly, we see it is serious and it affects all churches. But relax, this section is coming to an end. Okay, Paul, in today's passage, takes the issue of divisions in the church at Corinth and he tackles it from another angle. We see Paul urging the Corinthian believers not to deceive themselves, not to boast about human leaders because human-centered wisdom is foolish. And these leaders have been given to the church for their benefit. So if you have Bibles, if you have Bibles, please grab your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 to 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 to 23. Listen as I read. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Oh, sorry. Verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 to 23. My bad, my typo. Listen as I read. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul, Apollos, or Cephas, 
or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ. And Christ is God. Let's again look at a little bit of the background to catch us up to where we are at. If you remember, the church at Corinth during the time of Paul's time, it was a church who was, they were more, they were more influenced by the surrounding culture than by the gospel. They have let the worldliness of Corinth infect the church and they were facing a number of problems. The first problem that Paul addressed is this very issue of divisions and he just spent the last three chapters addressing this. You see, in, Corinth, in the church at Corinth, the believers were forming fractions and following human leaders. They were valuing great communicators and thinkers over the message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. As a result, we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 to 4, we see Paul, Paul scolding the church for being of the flesh and being worldly because of their divisions, their jealousy, and their strife. In verses 5 to 9, Paul questions the church over their following of human leaders. Paul, in essence, tells them that human leaders and teachers, all of these, they are fellow workers in the service of God. So why? Why is the church elevating, holding one over another, regarding some highly over the other? Then in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 to 17, which we covered last week, we hear Paul telling the believers in, at Corinth how they are to build the church. If you remember, if you recall, Paul tells them they are to build the church on Jesus Christ as their one foundation and not on anything else. So why shouldn't we boast about and follow human leaders? Paul will address this today. You know, my friends, never underestimate self-delusion. We are really skilled at deceiving ourselves, at lying to ourselves. You know, I have battled with being overweight for as long as I can remember. And every morning, you know what I do? I go through the dreaded ritual of stepping on the weighing scales. And can you guess what I do when I step on the scales? I take a deep breath in and I pull in my stomach. Okay? As if doing this will significantly lower my weight. Right? Self-delusion is this. Self-delusion is pulling in your stomach when you step on the scales. And what I think what I say here will resonate with many here, if you're really honest with yourself, don't many of you also deceive yourself as well? If it's not the weighing scales, it is something else. Our ancestors, Adam and the woman, accepted the lies of the serpent and rejected God's authority. They foolishly deceived themselves and thought that they could be like God. And this is the human condition since then. We are really good at self-delusion. Therefore, we often need to be reminded 
of the truth. And just as the weighing scale tells me the truth of what of my weight, of what I actually weigh, Paul in verse 18 tells the church in Corinth the truth they needed to hear. He tells them, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Let no one deceive himself. Do not delude yourself. Do not lie and cheat yourself. Paul reminds the church at Corinth not to mislead themselves. What is it that they were in danger of being deceived about? Paul goes on to say, If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. You see, the, ch- the church at Corinth, the believers there thought they were wise. But Paul exposed to them that their wisdom was of this world and of this age. Their wisdom carries no weight with God. They were told not to buy into the values and beliefs and morals of the surrounding Corinthian culture. It has no credentials with God. Rather, they were to become fools in the eyes of the world. They were to embrace the values, beliefs, and morals which are shaped by Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul talks about this in the light of divisions in the church. So what Paul is saying is, rather than foolishly giving allegiance to various human leaders, they were instead to be united for the gospel's sake. If they want to become wise, they must become fools. They are to become fools for the gospel's sake. What about you? Do you think yourself wise? Be careful not to be self-deceived. And why did Paul tell them not to be deceived? It's because ultimately the world's standards are foolish and futile. Remember Jesus at the end of his Sermon on the Mount? Jesus tells his disciples not to be like the foolish builder who builds his house on shifting sands. For when the rains and winds and waves come, what happens? Great is the fall of the house. So do not build on the shifting sands of the wisdom of the world. The world's standard, the world's standards are ultimately foolish and futile. Paul tells us again in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 19 to 20, For the wisdom of the world is folly with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and they are, that they are futile. Paul tells the church at Corinth to refuse to put their confidence in the securities of their contemporary pagan society around them. What Paul tells them, it means to recognize that the value system of the surrounding Corinthian culture, they were wrong, they were foolish, they were futile. Wealth, and prestige, impressive leaders and communicators, elite in-groups and envious outsiders. To place confidence in any of this is folly 
with God. All of this will be removed in a moment. And Paul, at this point, quotes from two passages in the Old Testament. Paul first quotes from Job chapter 5, verse 13. If you have your Bibles, turn with, put your finger on 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Turn with me to Job chapter 5, verse 13. Okay, just a little tip about reading the Bible uh, well. Whenever you see uh, the New Testament quoting the Old Testament, it's always helpful to go back to look at the Old Testament. Because when Paul says something, or one of the apostles says something in the New Testament, he often alludes to something uh, in its fullness. So we need to look at a passage, see it in its fullness, and catch its uh, meaning better. So Paul quotes from Job chapter 5, verse 13. He catches the wise in their craftiness. And Paul here means for us to complete the verse for ourselves. Because you look at Job chapter 5, verse 13, it continues, and the schemes of the wily are brought to a quick end. This is a constant reminder. This, there is this constant reminder from God's Word that man can never outmaneuver God. God alone is the giver of life and breath. And He also can remove them whenever He chooses. Paul is telling us the wisdom of this world will be brought to a quick end and removed. In the same light, Paul quotes from a second Old Testament reference. Okay? He now quotes from Psalm 94.11. So turn to Psalm 94.11 with me. Paul tells us there, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. He quotes from Psalm 94, 11, but he adds a slight change. Because you see in the Old Testament quote, it tells us that the thoughts of men are but a breath. It tells us that the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of the world, is like this. It is but a breath. Is ephemeral, is insubstantial, it has no value or significance. It is futile, it, it, it will pass quickly away. And if you look at the context of Psalm 94, it also reveals God as the God who avenges, who vindicates His people, who sees and hears and knows, and who disciplines and punishes foolish rebels. And in the light of this knowledge, no one in their right mind will want to be a self-deluded fool. Because God will discipline them. Paul makes a strong appeal to the church at Corinth to think things through very clearly and to act accordingly. This is also an appeal for us, for us, GBC, to also think clearly. Have you bought into the wisdom of the world and this present age? Or is the gospel of Jesus Christ shaping your values, your beliefs, and your morals? I'm sure you've overheard a conversation like this before. Okay? Two boys in a playground. One goes, You know, my father is so strong that he can run five kilometers in 30 minutes. Five kilometers in 30 minutes. The other boy goes, you know, my father is so strong that he can run five kilometers in 30 minutes and then carry me up 10 flights of stairs after his run without breaking a sweat. 
And then the first goes, you know, my father is so strong, he can run 10 kilometers in 30 minutes and then carry me up 10 flights of stairs after his run and still fight your father with one hand and beat your father. Perhaps it's not boys, but grown men who you heard similar boasting. To the men out there, I think men, we are really boys with expensive toys. What I've just shown here is this. It's natural for human beings to be boasting about himself or boasting about others because according to the wisdom of the world, he himself or others is all they have to put their confidence in. But my friends, this is not the Christian way. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21, So let no one boast in men. Do you boast in men? Really? Listen to your own conversations. Do you talk up certain Christian leaders and teachers? Do you give overmuch credit and allegiance to them? You know, I'm thankful for the many good leaders and teachers that God has given the church. But Paul is clear here. Do not boast in men. And the second half of verse 21 and following tells us why. Paul tells us in the second half of verse 21 to verse 23, it is because all things, all things have been given to the church for your benefit. I need you to track with me here. Because like, if you're like me, you know, we, I read the Bible the first time this passage, I was like, ah, what Paul, what are you saying in these verses? But I need to track with you to track with me here to pay extra attention. Because Paul's arguments here, he goes to a great theological truth. And I'm, I'm adapted to Bible teacher David Jackman here. He's really helpful in helping me understand the passages here. So Paul tells us not to boast in men. For all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. The second half of verse 21 contains the linking word. Paul tells us why we do not boast in men. The linking word there is for. Another way to look at this word is because of, and it leads to Paul's great statement, all things are yours. This here is the antidote to boasting. This is the uh, remedy to divisive allegiance to human leaders. Because we see here, the way of the wisdom of the cross is never man-centered. And the irony of this is this. We have read that some believers in Corinth were in fact boasting in men. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. What they should have boasted of was the great certainty with which the chapter ends in verse 23. You are Christ, and Christ is God's. Rather than belonging to any human leader, they should rejoice that they belong to God. They should be thankful for the human leaders and teachers that God has given them, along with all of God's other blessings in this world, that belong to them. 
You know, it's natural to find your self-esteem by associating with leaders whom you admire. And you've seen this in our midst as well, haven't we? Speaking to younger ones in our midst, we have Keller Wrights and Piper Wrights. We have folks who follow the various speakers and eloquent leaders in the Christian world. Even here in our church, there are tendencies where we seem to favour a pastor or leader or teacher over another. However, such practice nearly always leads to narrowness and divisiveness. They fail to take into account a much bigger picture that is involved when belonging to Christ. Because if you belong to Christ, the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. All are yours. If Paul and Apollos were only servants, then they belong to God. So also do the Corinthians. They do not belong to their leaders or teachers. This world and all that is in it belongs to God. The gift of life, the fact that our great enemy death is under the sovereign kingly rule of Jesus Christ, for Revelation 1.18 tells us that the reason Christ holds the keys of death and of Hades, the present and the future are in God's omnipotent hand, hands, and His people are also held in those hands. All things belong to them. All things belong to you and me, to those of us who have trusted in Christ Jesus, who are in Christ Jesus. Can you imagine that? Everything belongs to us. And as Margaret Trell writes, every possible experience in life, even the experience of death itself, belongs to Christians in the sense that in the end, it will turn out for their good. And this is the challenge that Paul wants to leave us at the end of this section. If all, this, if all things belong to us, if the greatest realities are ours through Christ, why become a slave of a party leader of a, or a gifted teacher? It's almost like you and your cousin, you know, you are heirs to this great mansion and vast fortune left by your wealthy uncle. Instead of being thankful and enjoying what has been given to you, you fight over which channel to watch on the TV. Arguing over which program is better. Isn't it ludicrous? Isn't it silly? Why allow your natural preference to be hardened and narrowed into exclusive prejudice? Why limit the freedom we have in Christ by signing out to a small elite group who think that they got everything just right and have the answers to every question? Usually the reason is because we want to be accepted. But if we understand that true faith in Christ and Him crucified, we are fully accepted and now belong to God and everything belongs to us. If we understand that the local church is God's special delight and that God raises a variety of leaders, a variety of leaders and teachers for our good and for the benefits of the church, then we have entered the freedom of the gospel. 
I need to mark that again. That's what's the most important in this passage here, that God has given us all things, including leaders and teachers in the church, for the good and benefit of the church. And, and, then, and that to me was this thought that stuck with me the entire week. Because it's so counter what we always experience. If we think and we are frustrated over something, we blame the leaders and we think that they are doing bad to the church. But God tells us that all leaders, all teachers, they are given to us for the good and benefit of our church. And believers with such convictions will always be wise builders of the church and not callous wreckers who divide the church. Ask yourself these questions. What are your convictions? Are you a builder or are you a wrecker? So what? What now? You know, in today's passage, Paul urged the Corinthians believers not to deceive themselves nor boast about human leaders because human-centered wisdom is foolish and these leaders and teachers have been given to the church for our benefit. As Christians, we are not, not to boast nor to give allegiance to human leaders to the extent of dividing the church. So what are we to do? How do we think, feel and live different from the surrounding culture? How do we embrace the values of the gospel? i leave you with three thoughts. Firstly, give thanks to the leaders and teachers in the church. God has given us leaders and teachers for our church. Sometimes, or many times, they may not meet our expectations. But we need to trust and understand that they have been given to the church for our good and our benefit. So what can we do? We can be thankful to God for them. We give thanks to God for our teachers and leaders in our prayers. Pray for them. They really really need our prayers. We really, really need your prayers. Show your appreciation for them. Write notes thanking them. Drop them an email or message to encourage them. Realize that no leader or teacher is perfect. There's only one perfect leader and teacher, if you haven't realized right now, and that's Jesus Christ. So temper your expectations for your leaders and teachers. They may not match your expectations all the time, but they've been given by God to the church for our good and our benefit. Especially in this time of leadership transition for Grace Baptist Church. As Pastor Arnold prepares to leave us and Pastor Yen prepares to join us, show your appreciation and thankfulness to Pastor Arnold. God has gifted him. He's a gift to us for the past seven years or more. Temper your expectations for Pastor Ian. He is not the Messiah. Okay? I'm sure he'll be the first to tell you that. And he will not be able to solve everything to our satisfaction. But the church has voted. We have discerned God's will. He's going to be God's gift to us. So give thanks for the leaders and teachers in our church. Secondly, guard against the divisive spirit. Watch out that you do not promote fractions in your divisive allegiance to human teachers and leaders in the church. Check what you say and do. Be careful that you do not get involved in divisive gossip. Work towards unity. More than this, 
Do check your heart motivations. Are you seeking acceptance in belonging to a better group that does things well? Are you finding your self-esteem from following a teacher and leader who seems to have all the answers? Are your heart motivations right with God? Because our actions and speech will come from the motivations from our heart. If our hearts have issues, then this divisive spirit will show itself in our behaviour and our talk. Examine your heart. Guard against a divisive spirit. <laughs> Lastly, guard against being self-deceived. Guard against being self-deceived. We have seen how it's part of human condition, fallen human condition, to be self-deceived. If left on our own, it's highly unlikely, let me tell you this, it's highly unlikely that we can think ourselves out of our self-delusion. Okay? So if you think that you can uh, think yourself out of being self-deceived, think yourself of being of a self-delusion, it's highly unlikely. What will happen is, is very likely we'll spiral downwards into our self-deception. Like me, you know, sometimes I know I've gained weight, I purposely do not step on the weighing scale for two weeks. Because during a period of time, I can deceive myself that my weight is low. Okay? That's us. We'll spiral into self-deception. And I've experienced this as well. Not just in my weight, but in other areas of sin. And the solution for this is outside us. We need the twin mirrors of the Word of God and the Christian community to help us see clearly. We need someone outside of ourselves to be our honest weighing scales, so to speak. And what do you do? Firstly, you need to be open to accountability within the Christian community. We talk about accountability very often, but how often are we accountable to one another? Find a small group in the church where you can build trust. Be open to being accountable. Give them permission to speak into your life. Tell them, I need your help to speak God's word to me. I give you permission to speak truth into my life and to keep me accountable. You really need to do this if you do not want to be self-deceived. And I myself, I'm held accountable by the lay elders in our church. And you know what? They tell me when I'm being stupid. So they tell me, Oli, you're being stupid in this. And I appreciate them deeply for that. Secondly, encourage your accountability partners to speak truth to you. I know it's not in our Singaporean culture to do this. It can be unnatural and scary. So encourage those who keep you accountable to keep doing so. Tell them when they speak to you to keep you accountable. Tell them this. Thank you, brother. Thank you, sister. I really, really need to hear this. Thank you for loving me enough for speaking this truth to me. Thirdly, be courageous enough to speak truth to your friend. Love them enough to help them guard against being self-deceived. Speak to them and help each other build one another up towards Christ-likeness. And if each of us do this, we help each other from being self-deceived, we help each other battle sin, we help each other grow towards Christ-likeness. And in doing so, we'll build up the church. So my friends, guard against being self-deceived. In conclusion, let's hear again Paul's exhortation to us at the end of this chapter. 
But now I make some changes, some tweaks for context. For all things are yours. Whether Dr. Paulson or Pastor Arnold or Ollie or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God. This is God's word to us. All things are ours in Christ. Not only the forgiveness for our sins when we trusted in Christ, but all things are ours in Christ. Let this awesome thought wash over you. Remember that the teachers and leaders in our church, they are given by God for our good and our benefit. So go in faith, trusting in this truth, and live this out in obedience. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for Jesus Christ. That in Christ, not only do we find forgiveness for our sins, but we are also counted as righteous in your sight. We thank you for the wonderful gift that in Christ, all things are ours. All things are given for our good and benefit. Cultivate in us gratitude and love for Jesus Christ. Help us to give up our divisive allegiance to human leaders. Empower us to grow in unity as a church so that we will be a testimony to the watching world of your glorious grace. In Christ's name, Amen. Let us rise for the song of response.